Oh man, this is so good. Um, it is a real treat to be here. I kept welling up in the, in the worship and I'd like to say it's because the Holy Spirit was all over me. Uh, maybe he was, but there was definitely a, just a, a human emotional moment of being back in this room um, and being with you guys. This is so good. As Liz said, we've, we've stood here, Sarah and I, Sarah grew up in this church, but we've stood here many, many years and prayed many, many hours for God to do great things amongst people. And here he is still doing it, still stirring stuff up. And we get to be part of that today. And um, so I used to live right behind that wall there. There's a flat in there. Um, so I used to live in, the, in there. It, yeah, exactly. You're there now. So that's good. Uh, I won't give away who that was in case you go stalking later. But um, uh, so I live behind that wall and, and was part of this church, which is where One Life came out of. And uh, we're super excited to be here today. I want to dive straight in because of time. And I want to go after something and get a chance to pray before we break and get into sports and activities and fun in the cafe and all those things as well. Um, so we're going to go diving right in. Tom this morning uh, looks at kind of leadership and peace. And uh, it's been great to hear you kind of jumping in with some of your thoughts around what it looks like to lead with peace, where you can do that, what that looks like in practical reality. And and it's important that all this stuff lands in reality. This is not just ideas. This stuff really makes a difference. And we're believing as a team at the end of this day, you will be totally transformed. There'll be something shifting inside you that means the reality is different when you go home. And so this afternoon, this, this short session for the next kind of 20 minutes or so, um, I try not to go longer than that, um, is, is um, leadership and love. Okay, when we connect this theme of love to leadership, what's it look like? And I want to take you on a, a little journey, remind you of really the core story of the Bible to get us set in that space that we might become leaders who love. The world would be a different place if there were more of those. A few years ago, um, I had a dream moment. I got a phone call and uh, got invited to go uh, to visit um, a sports team, a professional sports team. And um, I didn't realise it, but I was, I arrived at this place and I kind of went down this driveway and there were like pitches on both sides of me. There were loads of people all dressed up in their kind of sports kit, um, you know, all kind of doing different things with rugby balls. Any rugby fans in the, in the house? Any rugby fans? Got a few rugby fans. And so um, we were, I was driving along this driveway thinking that I was going to have a conversation about leadership with a premiership rugby team. And uh, this is like a dream. It's like, oh my goodness, I get to, you know, just get a glimpse inside a professional, like top class rugby fit team, um, you know, that, that work with kind of international players from South Africa and Scotland and Wales and England and all the kind of big name uh, rugby. You know, this is like my little dream. This is like, oh, everything's coming together. And so we sort of drive down and I sort of, I walk into this room in this training ground and sit down and I immediately knew the people sitting in front of me. There were four of them and uh, I knew them because um, they were like heroes of rugby who I'd watched on TV as a kid. Um, one of them had won the World Cup with England. Another one was kind of the captain of Ireland for a little season. And uh, you know, like these guys were like heroes of mine. I sat down like, I can't believe I get to be in a room with these people. And after about five minutes, I realised this was actually an interview. This is not a conversation. They were interviewing me uh, for a job, which was technically tricky because I already had a drop and um, I was like how am I going to work this one out anyway long story short but they, they interviewed me and basically the end said great we'd love you to come on as leadership coach for Gloucester Rugby and I was like wow this is amazing but um, they were like great can you do at least two days a week I was like, well, I don't know because I've got another job. And they were like, what? What are you doing another job? I'm, like, I'm a vicar in another place. I lead a church. And so they're kind of piecing it together. I'm working out. But I, I sort of think I've got to make this work somehow because it's like, this is my dream. And so, um, and so then I, I, we worked out and I, I started being leadership coach at Gloucester, which is great. These are my uh, training joggers. 
Um, here we go. I, I didn't bring the whole kit. I thought I could come dressed up, but that might be overkill, okay? These are, look, I even got the little initials there. And I got to be in the dugout in the changing room at halftime. I got to work with world-class athletes who were at the top of their game playing a World Cup, win, World Cup winners. Uh, one of the late, last World Cup, the South Africa, some of the South Africa team, working with them. It was absolutely amazing. Actually, incidentally, a lot of that came about because of rooms like this. So if you think you're sitting here and you're not sure what, what doors would open, I never thought a door like that would open. And, and it really is. It's every little boy's dream to be in, inside like one of their favourite teams, one of their favourite sports and be behind the thing. And all sorts of doors were open because of what God puts in you and because of what he opens to you. Now I'm holding this, my joggers, don't get too close because I have been jogging in these and they've not been washed since I went jogging. All right, I'm really sorry, Judah. Are you okay with that? Just waft it over this way. Are you all right? You sure? Just a little leg in the nose there. Well done, good. Okay. <laughs> but this badge became really important all of a sudden in my world. In fact, it probably became a bit too important. I was like super excited about being in this environment and this, this badge, this kind of lion of, of Gloucester rugby, you know, became this symbol. And so I loved wearing the kit and I loved putting on the kit and, you know, I loved kind of going in as one of the coaches and, you know, I had a badge that gave me access all areas. Suddenly because of the badge, I could go anywhere in the stadium. So I'd walk past crowds and they'd be like, oh, who's that? Who's that? And of course, they've got no idea who I am, but I'm trying to pretend I'm a good rugby player when, when I wasn't at all. And, um, but it gave me access to all areas. And in some ways, I actually started drawing a bit of identity from it. Probably still do a bit, even though I'm aware of that. There's a bit of like, oh, isn't that cool? You get to be in, in professional rugby and you get to work with some of these players. And there's identity that I drew from this badge. I wonder what symbols give you identity. I wonder what things really matter to you. All of you have them. I wonder if you're aware of them. For me, that's one. And it opened up all sorts of opportunities, all sorts of traps as well. And that's what symbols can do. Some of you, you're right into Nike and you, you wouldn't be seen in Adidas because you're a Nike kind of person. Others of you, you're kind of flashing your Apple phone because you wouldn't be seen with any other kind of phone. Any Apple fans here? Yeah, 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 okay. And, and although you sort of think, oh, they're just like little symbols or like a little Nike tick here, here we go. There's, 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 you know, they're just symbols, aren't they? Symbols carry power. They really matter the symbols that we live by really matter. They begin to shape identity, shape what we stand for. And of course, there are bigger symbols as well that point to political ideologies or philosophical ideologies, moral ideologies that people hold on to. They wave these symbols and they hold to these symbols and they become identified by these symbols and their identity gets totally wrapped up in those symbols. What symbols define your identity? What really shapes who you think you are? What symbols give you access? And do the same symbols hold you back? If there's one thing I want to do this afternoon, is I want to take a few moments of your time to try and convince you that there's one symbol and only one symbol that you should live out your life by. It's not wrong to love rugby or wear Nike shoes. But if there was one symbol that you lived your life by, I want to try and convince you that it should be the cross. Don't know how important that symbol is to you. Some of you might have a cross somewhere. Maybe by accident, it's just on the front of your Bible so you see it from time to time. Maybe you've actually got a little cross that someone gave you Maybe it's not around your life, but maybe after today it will be.
let me remind you of the story of this cross. And then we're going to talk about what difference it makes for us as we learn to lead. I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter 23, verses um, 33 through to 49. So if you've got a Bible, you can look it up and, and, and follow this. But I'd, I'd love you, as I read this, I, I want you to become like a film director, okay, in your own head. So, so right now, and do this every time you're in church. It'll help you to engage in what you're listening to. Because if, if you're anything like me, sometimes, especially when someone starts reading something, you zone out and you start thinking about the latest Instagram post or you know, the next TikTok dance, whatever it is. You're, you're kind of, I don't think about those things, obviously. But um, you might do. So, so zone into this. Listen to this. Because this is the words of life. And, and I want to encourage you, almost like imagine a film. You're directing a film in your head as you hear these words. Make, make the thing come alive as you imagine and you think through what it ever looks like as we're reading this. Jesus has been through a desperate night. He's been betrayed by friends and scorned and ashamed. And he's about to die on this symbol. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. You will be with me in paradise today. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining The curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching all of these things. This is like the epicenter moment. The cross and of course the resurrection of Jesus. It's the epicenter moment of Christian living. The Christian life is cruciform. That means it's the shape of a cross. And I want to explore that for a few moments. I don't know what images went through your head as you were being the film director as I read those words from Luke's gospel. They've inspired images throughout the ages. 
different artists, different filmmakers, different people who have responded to this story and said, we've got to tell this story again. There's, there's something core at this story. Something happens at the cross that is unlike anything else. And so artists and filmmakers through the stories, through the ages, there's one picture I wanted to show you that I studied when I was, oh, I looked at, I loved, can we have that picture? I don't know if that's going to come up. Here we go. It was a picture by Dali. Maybe Salvador Dali. He was... Um, not known for necessarily doing kind of his accurate paintings. Maybe it'll come, maybe it won't. Uh, he was a surrealist artist. Any of you into art? Some of you doing art A-level or something. He was a sur- surrealist artist. And uh, so he, he painted all kinds of weird things, like clocks kind of melting off the side of things. You might have seen that's quite a famous one. But this one particularly, hopefully it'll come. We'll see it in a minute. This one uh, was a picture of the crucifixion. And Dali talked about having had a vision from God uh, uh, painting this. Some people loved it, some people hated it, some of his critics slammed it, some, some other people thought this was amazing and there's all sorts of interesting things written about here. We're not here to be art critics right now. But the thing I love about this picture, which may or may not come, it's on its way, is that Dali caught this idea. That's not it. That's not it. That's definitely not it. Let's just wait for a moment, see if it comes. No, it's still not it, no, no. We'll catch it in a moment. I'll keep talking about it because it may come. But um, Dali caught this idea that Jesus came from heaven to earth. Here we go, there we go. So here it goes. It's this kind of picture of, captured of Jesus looking down from heaven to earth. From heaven he came and he, he made himself lower in order that he would come down. You could just see these pictures of the boat and there's a fisherman just at the bottom corner there as well. This idea that Christ came for normal people and that actually even in his coming, there's this sense in which he was upon the cross. This cross moment that would bridge heaven and earth, that would be a bridge between earth and heaven, that would make a way possible for us to know the fullness of God at work in our lives. So if we can leave that picture there, I'm going to refer to it a few times because I simply want you to, I want to draw on three things to do with this cross that I hope you remember. And now every time you see a cross, obviously we're remembering Jesus, not the symbol of the cross. Symbols point to a bigger thing. It's pointing us to Jesus. But what is it that we learn? What is it that we must understand as we look at this cross? Well, the first thing is this. Jesus led with love. He led with love. Right there on the cross, his arms we keep it up there, it'd be great. His arms are open wide. They're like open arms with the love of God. It's this picture of Jesus having his arms open wide over the world. That's what Dali was trying to capture there. It's like he's open wide over the world. His arms of love are open wide over each and every single person. And if there's one thing that would, would capture how Jesus led, it was leading with love. His desire was to love those around him, even the unlovables. He, he lent into spending time with people that other people didn't want to spend time with. He lent into to giving his attention to those that, that other people would just dismiss. And everywhere he went, he called out love. Now, was that, did that mean that Jesus was always nice? No. Love isn't just always like nice and floppy and kind of like all sort of, you know, oh, I won't tread on anyone's toes. There were moments when Jesus went in and he trod on toes. He threw over tables. He rebuked people. But all in the name of love, he all did it motivated by love. Because God is love. Jesus in very essence is love. And he calls us to lead in love. 
to have your arms open wide to a world that desperately needs to know the love of God like never before. This post-pandemic age, this moment that we're in right now, is a disorientated world looking, thinking, we thought we knew how the world would work, but now we're totally disorientated. What on earth's going on? And what the world needs is leaders who will rise up and say, do you know what? We want to love you and to demonstrate God's love to you in every way possible. Whatever way we can possibly do that. There's this verse in the Bible where Jesus says, it's in John, greater love has no person than they lay down their lives for their friends. Which is exactly what Jesus did. On the cross, he opened his arms of love and he laid down his life for his friends. What was he doing there? He was giving his life that you and I might go free. He was exchanging his life in order to give his life to us. Taking away all the sins of the world. Taking all away the sins that each and every one of us have committed. Each and every one of us have walked in. Taking all of those upon him in his arms of love. Saying, I will take all of this in order that you might have freedom because of my love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever would believe in him, put your trust in him, would never perish but have everlasting life. And so God's heart is that you lead and love. I want to encourage you, wherever you go in life, whatever influence God gives you, whatever doors he opens, even the unsurprising places like rugby clubs, always ask yourself the question, am I leading with love? Am I leading with love? And the moments where you start saying, do you know what? I'm not sure that love is the motivation of my leadership here. Stop, pause, withdraw and go back to the cross. Say, Jesus, you are the one who's full of love. Will you teach me what love looks like? Will you teach me how to love even the people that are unlovable? Would you teach me how to serve those that others have forgotten? Would you teach me what it looks like to love in the boardroom, to love in the, in the, in the sports changing room? Would you teach me what it looks to, like to demonstrate your love everywhere you take me? Go back to it again and again. I want to be held accountable to that and I'd love you all to do that. If you ever hear of anything going on in my world where you think, oh Pete, is that really motivated by love? I'd love you to say to me, are you leading with love? That's what Christian leadership would look like. It was leading with love. And so that's the, that's the, the out, outworking of the arms, the arms stretched out wide. That's this bit, leading with love. The cross also points us down. It roots us to reality. Write that down. Roots us to reality. Turn to someone next to you and say, roots us to reality. So we lead with love, just like Jesus. We're rooted to reality. We're rooted to reality. Now, why is that really important? Again, I love this, this sense in which Dali captures the idea that, that Jesus, that the cross is coming right down to earth. It's like the light of God dawning on earth as the cross comes down to earth. It's rooted into the reality of life. Now, do you know what? Things are not always going to be easy. And I think you've explored that this bit this morning. I won't dwell on it too much because we've talked a little bit about the peace and the storm and, and all those things. But life is not always going to be easy. If you come to a One Life conference and you think, oh, brilliant, I've been equipped to lead. I know how to do it. I know how to stand and perform. I've done the string thing with Stu. I've done all sorts of other things where, where I've learned loads of stuff about leadership. Now I'm ready to take on the world. And you get out there and you hit a few, a few realities, a few complexities in life, a few struggles like mental health in school, a few people who come against you. Remember the cross. Jesus has been through it. 
He's our beautiful and most excellent example. You see, when I hit complexities or when I don't understand why the world is as it is, I look to the cross and I remember that even the Son of God faced incredible difficulty, complexity. He faced suffering and struggle. He was accustomed to grief and he knew what it was like to lose. Lots of people look at the cross and they think it's a symbol of failure. Look, Jesus died on the cross. And yet as Christians, we recognise it's a symbol of victory because through his death, he brought us life. Through his death and then resurrection, he's overcome death. So he's broken the power of death. This is actually a symbol of victory. Even though in the moment as the crowd were jeering at him, as the soldiers were mocking him, as, as the criminal was hurling insults at him, they were looking thinking this is failure. But this cross was so deeply rooted into the earth, Jesus was doing everything to break the power of sin. It was connected to reality. It was connected to the complexity of the world we live in. Now, as you step up and lead in love, as you choose love, everywhere you go, there will be moments when people slap you in the face, quite literally sometimes. That's happened to me. There'll be moments when, when you are going for something, you are dreaming for something and it got complex and difficult and you don't know which way to go. For all of you, there will be moments when you hit crisis and even suffering. The struggles that we face that we won't always have answers to. Remember the cross. He, Jesus, has gone before us and demonstrates that even through complexity, you can lead with love. And even through what others perceive as failure, he brings victory. Don't let your leadership be totally defined by worldly success. Again, you come to something like One Life, and you're going to get equipped to lead, you're going to get a vision, your passion, you're going to leave here tonight ready to change the world. And then when the failures come, are you going to collapse at that moment and think, oh, well, because I'm not successful, it just doesn't work. Maybe I'm not meant to lead. That's a lie from the enemy. That's a lie that's designed to stop you in your tracks. You see, your leadership isn't defined by your success. It's defined by his success that is already achieved on the cross. That even in the moments of complexity, even in the moments when it's really hard and you're like rooted to reality and it's like, I can't, I can't work out how to move forwards. What's going on? Remember the cross. He's been there before. He understands every temptation. He's walked through all kinds of disappointments and grief, just like many of us will face. And yet he's continued to lead with love and be our great example. So we lead with love, arms spread open. We're rooted in reality, recognising that he's been there before. He's our great example. Remember the cross. And finally, the cross elevates us to eternity. Elevates us to eternity. And all three things are important. We don't just stay rooted in the reality and the failure and the struggle. That will be a reality for all of us at different times in our lives. But actually the cross ultimately elevates us to eternity. It lifts us up. Again, look at the picture. I love the sense of the, of the light that Dali captures at the top of the cross. It's like, it's so bright, this light coming from heaven and the cross almost off the top of the picture here, elevating us up to heaven again. It's almost like Jesus coming and sweeping everybody up into a reality that you are invited to all eternity. You're invited to think in heavenly ways. Now, there's so many things that that will do for your life. The first one is this, that you'll have an eternal perspective. When you look at the cross, when you remember that, when you, when you create that as your defining symbol, it will elevate to eternity. Remember eternity. Have an eternal perspective. 
That's one of the things that has helped me to get through some of the challenges and the complexities of life. There's another verse in Hebrews which says uh, that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. No one wanted to go to death on a cross. Jesus didn't want to go to death on a cross. He bled sweat and tears over it. But for the joy set before him. What was that joy? It's you. You are Jesus' joy. You and many millions and billions others all over this world who Jesus has gone to the cross for to make a way to bridge to heaven, to bridge to all eternity. That those that put their trust in him will never perish but have everlasting life. He suddenly inserts eternal perspective into our lives which means that death is not the end and we can now have this eternal perspective. Now, it doesn't answer everything necessarily. You might have difficult questions, but actually the reality is even then when we face suffering or struggle of any kind, it changes our bandwidth. We're not just thinking about now and this moment. We're thinking about all eternity. I remember when I was standing right there at the back there, worshipping away when there were still pews in this church. And I hit one of the most complex moments in my life. You'll have others. My brother had just died of cancer. And it was this moment of like, oh, loss, complexity, suddenly down to earth in the reality of what's going on around us. And it was painful and it hurt. Painful for others in this room too. I remember there was this Matt Redman song that was the one that we overplayed at the time. You always overplay a Matt Redman at some point and then you can't sing it again, can you? I love Matt Redman. He was a 16-year-old in this church. That's where he learned to worship lead. And it was, blessed be the name of the Lord. And there's this bridge that says, you give and take away. You give and take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. And I just stood there and I didn't have many answers. I felt totally broken inside. I felt like that rooted in reality of like complex life. And yet this sense in which God was saying, turn your eyes heavenward. And I raised my hands in obedience. Didn't really want to, but I raised my hands in obedience. And I just sang out at the top of my voice. I probably ruined several people's ears. And there's probably still rumours of like how terrible that singing was at that time. But I just sang out, God, you give and take away. It's straight from the Bible. You give and you take away, but blessed, blessed is your name. Your name, God. And I know that I'll see him again in eternity. I know that so much of his life has bled into beautiful things, has made amazing things happen. My brother's life, let alone Jesus's. And whilst there's complexity, there's this turning to eternity, this sense in which God, you caught us, you capture us in something bigger. We are now part of a bigger story. We are elevated into something more, elevated into eternity. So there's a sense in which we get this eternal grid that goes on as we look up. But, but also as we get this kind of elevated into eternity, the cross elevating us, lifting our head up to, to Jesus, 
we remember through this cross that it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about his glory. It's all about turning our eyes to him. Everything you do as you lead in love, everything you do in life, whatever you do, make it about his glory, not yours. You know, the minute you make it about your glory, you suddenly get rooted into your own successes and how it's all going and whether it's going to be there. And suddenly you kind of slip away from things, come back to the cross and get elevated. See him, it's his glory. It's his glory. Bring about his glory. His desire for you is to become the kind of leader that will bring him glory. And that will be an extraordinary expression of love to the King of Kings. This story, as I finish up with this, Again, I remember a conference probably 10 years ago, One Life Conference right here. So a couple of you might have been in the room, definitely Shirley somewhere, probably Joanna. And we were in this room and there was this amazing, special um, elderly gentleman called John Warren. You remember him? John's gone to be with the Lord now. I had the privilege of being at his funeral a few years ago. But 10 years ago, he was in the room and John was very elderly. He was really stooped over and he walked with a stick. And he was coming towards the end of his days. But do you know what? My overriding memory of John was John quite dangerously on a bike cycling around Chorleywood. <laughs> he'd leave the stick out the back and off he'd go. <laughs> and John would go cycling around Chorleywood, delivering communion to other elderly people who were housebound. Because he loved Jesus and he wanted them to know Jesus. So we thought, we, we, this, this elderly gentleman is leading to the end of his days. What would it be like to, to put him in front of a bunch of teenagers and try and inspire them and, and say, hey, look, this is what it would look like. What would it be like for you to get to the end of your days and to lead in love in response to Jesus like this gentleman? And I'll never forget, we had a, a chair up here to interview and we said, please welcome John Warren. And John came and it, honestly, it took us about 10 minutes to get him up here. <laughs> He kind of pieced his way through and he's going with his stick and he came up here and we had this beautiful conversation right here. And I'll never forget the um, last question, which was simply, you know, John, if, if there's one thing you want to say to all these young leaders, you know, and what's really important about their leadership, what would it be? It took a moment, but not much of a moment. And out of this twinkling little eye, as he sort of lifted his head because his back was hunched over, he just said, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. There was this old gentleman who was a total inspiration to me, giving that Sunday book, Sunday school textbook answer. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. You see, the cross will call us to elevate to eternity, to always remember it's about his glory. It's about Jesus. It's all about him. And I want to encourage each and every one of you to respond to him today, to actually make a decision. Do you know what? I want to be a, a leader who's so full of the love of God. I want to be a leader who, who leads with this symbol of the cross. I, I don't want to be like the crowd who walked away. I don't want to be like the soldiers who insult him. I don't want to be like that thief who mocked him on the cross. I want to be like that centurion who said, surely this was the son of God. I want to be like the, the women who stayed at the cross when the crowd had left, watching all that went on. You could make that decision today. You could make that response today. And that response would be so significant for all of your leadership now. It would 
Game change, everything from here on in. If you decided, actually, the symbol of my life is not some Apple or some Nike tick. It's not some other flag or, or, or a sports team or whatever it is that we spend a lot of our time pursuing. Actually, the, the symbol of my life is the cross. And this cross will inspire me to lead with love, with my arms open wide. This cross will keep me rooted in reality, knowing that, that he's in it. He's in the complexity. He understands the struggle. He understands even the stuff that's hard. And this cross is elevating me to eternity, giving me an eternal mindset about every decision and all that goes on and calling me to give glory to Jesus. That could be your decision today. And if you lead with this symbol that just draws us ever closer to Jesus, you will become the kind of leader this world needs, so desperately needs in our day. I wonder if when we're all old like John Warren, bent over with our walking sticks, we too, with integrity, would be saying, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus.